Section 12 of Life and Sayings of Mrs. Partington. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elsie Sawin. Life and Sayings of Mrs. Partington and Others of the Family by B.P. Schillibert. Section 12. The Architectural Black Eye. We met old Guzzle one day with a terrible black eye. Ah, said we to the interesting individual. Bad eye, that. Yes, that ear's an architectural eye. We asked an explanation. I say this ear an architectural eye because I got it from the Elizabethan architecture of our house. We were in the dark as much as ever. T'other night, continued he, I went home partially tired. I say partially, for upon my honor, I had drank but seven times during the evening. I felt my way up by the wainscoting because I didn't want to make a noise. And when I got to the top, I forgot what a deuced wide staircase it was. And when I turned to go towards any door, what does I do but walk right downstairs again a good deal faster than when I went up and struck my head against the corner post and be hanged to it. Bad eye, isn't it? and all for that infernal Elizabethan stairway. We thought that the fault lay with the rum. Seeking a comment. It was with anxious feeling that Mrs. Partington, having smoked her specks, directed her gaze towards the western sky in the quest of the tailless comet of 1850. I can't see it, said she, and a shade of vexation was perceptible in the tone of her voice. I don't think much of this explanatory system continued she, that they praise so, where the stars are mixed up so that I can't tell Jupiter from Satan, nor the consternation of the great bear from the man in the moon. Tit all dark to me. I don't believe that there is any comet at all. Who ever heard of a comet without a tail? I should like to know. It isn't natural. But the printers will make a tail for it fast enough, for they're always getting up comical stories. With a complaint about the falling dew and a slight murmur of disappointment, the dame disappeared behind a deal door like a moon behind a cloud. Among the Roman priesthood was a class called augurs. There are many great bores among our modern priests. Benevolence unappreciated. Philanthropos was at a public meeting one evening, where the heat was distressing, and observing a lady on a seat in front of him who appeared to be suffering from excessive warmth, he went out and bought a large fan, which he delicately set in motion, as if fanning himself, while he made every effort to give her the benefit of the artificial breeze, becoming himself additionally heated from the exertion he made, losing all interest in the concert from his intentness in the benevolent action, and smiling to himself with the belief that his kindness was felt without its source being known. He was thus benevolently happy until he heard the lady tell her husband to go and shut down that odious window behind her for she had felt cold on her neck all evening from the east wind. Philanthropos went out and sold the fan for seven cents that he had given a quarter for an hour before. An editor, having stated in his paper that he had been presented with a number of varieties of plums, old Roger declared his preference for the perpendicular. The Parting Word In telling the story about a printer, I am not about detailing the mysteries and difficulties of his occupation, although a feeling and interesting sketch might be made of the business of his life with its care and toil for the good of the world, 
I love the printers from association and long habit, am proud now of their companionship, and when walking arm in arm with my friend, the president of the Franklin Typographical Society, I feel as well as if the individual in the hook of my arm were the president of the United States. My intention in this little tale is simply to give the incidents of a printer's life, wherein his heart was concerned, and not to meddle with his profession in any way, save to dignify my hero by the association. The Freeman's Star was located in Patney, the shire town of Seaburn County in our state, and it exerted a great influence upon the mind and manners of the people. Society took its tone from the printing office. The magnates of the place owned its sway, perhaps through fear, and the humblest looked towards it with reverence, for they had heard of its power as the, quote, defender of the people's rights, end quote, and never deemed how much of humbug there was in the profession. The editor was looked up to as a great man, and people would touch one another as he passed and whisper, That is the editor. He had been foreman of a daily office in the city, and his importance was unbounded on the assumption of his new honors. In a proportionate degree, all hands in the office were marked men. The single journeyman, the grown-up apprentice from the neighboring town, and the demon himself were all marked individuals, and people treated them deferentially for their connection with the mighty engine that had such power. Their opinions expressed at times about the weather or the elections or the crops were listened to attentively, and everything that appeared in the Freeman Star was imputed to one or the other of the printers by the particular friends of each. Let a piece of village poetry appear, or a good story called from some city paper, and at once would be seen in it by the different parties' traces of the mind of each of their favorites. They would have known it to be his if they had seen it in the moon, if they were by accident located in that planet and had met with it there. It was in this office that I made the acquaintance of the hero of my story, the grown-up apprentice who bore the un-euphonous name of Jabez B., he was a spirited fellow, very intelligent, and as full of mischief as an egg is full of meat, to use an expressive modernism. He was a constant attendant upon the tavern in all his leisure moments, where, attracting a crowd of countrymen around him, he would astonish them by the keenness of his wit and the extent of his information, and many a marvelous story have his country friends carried home as latest news that originated in the teeming brain of Jabez. Steamboats were blown up and railroad accidents were as common then in this way as now when the melancholy realities need no draught upon the fancy, for instances. But he gained a character for wit at the expense of his moral reputation, which is too often the case, and at eighteen, though everybody liked him and laughed with him, he was set down as not likely to turn out very well, a great phrase in Patney. People cautioned their sons and daughters about going in his company, and evil communications corrupt good manners was written as a copy in every girl's and boy's writing book in town. But he laughed at them all, and the boys joined him, and the girls, who somehow or other, always seemed to set more by the wild and mischievous than by the staid and prudent, loved Jabez very sisterly. He was bold and generous, qualities which no true woman can see in a man without admiring them. Far more discerning than older ones in matters of soul, they had discriminated long ago between the mischief and wildness of Jabez and his malice and wickedness, and a large balance was set down in their heart in favor of his good qualities. They saw a sympathetic smile or tear where those who decried them saw but levity and heartlessness. They smiled upon him for striving to save the child's lamb from drowning in the well, and rejoiced outright when he threw the bully over the fence who was maltreating the widow's son. 
the most beautiful girl in patney was susan bray she was a charming little creature with an eye as blue as a violet in spring a voice as soft as the evening's bird a cheek like the blush of the apple blossom and a breath as sweet as its perfume breathed over the pearly purity of her teeth her form was slight and graceful and as lithe as the bending corn or the wavy pliancy of the yielding grass i am not good at describing beauty in ladies tis not my forte but i am determined hereafter to put myself under the hand of my friend paul creighton or some other master of art and become better versed in the science of drawing word portraits enough is it for my purpose to say that she was very beautiful and that over her beauty was thrown a fascination of manner and a propriety that was peculiarly delightful she gained for herself from her admiring companions the expressive sobriquet of the lily of the val and her modesty and grace justified the title she was the daughter of mr bray the village blacksmith and having been educated in a distant town her return to patney was like the rising of a new star or the discovery of a new flower the young men were delighted with her manners and the young women pleasant creatures gave her their hearts willingly for they feared rivalry from her no more than they would from the new moon she moved in a circle that the bold printer boy did not enter the blacksmith was a hard man and the reputation of jabez was such that it did not commend itself very favorably to the old man's mind and he had discouraged acquaintance with him from the time of her return however had jabez b looked upon the fair susan admiringly but at a distance he gazed upon her with a respectful feeling that had no affinity with the lighter and laughing affection he felt for the village girls of his acquaintance he felt that she was a superior being to the whole of them and his soul bowed with reverence to her shrine hoping nothing and asking nothing but to lay its silent offering at her feet as the simple votary brings garlands in the still of the morning to hang upon the shrine of some favorite saint it was a beautiful feeling and as pure as beautiful the love at first almost unconscious became at length the absorbing feeling of his life it marked his conduct and conversation and the unconfessed passion he felt molded the impetuous and the wild boy into a dreamer and a visionary he pored over books and the woods and glens and water brooks were familiar with his footsteps he acted in short dear reader as you and i and almost all others have done or might have done under like circumstances made himself very ridiculous and the freeman's star literally groaned with the efforts of his awakened muse and well it might groan as everybody did that read what he wrote the poetry was more truthful than lovely and its quantity like the irishman's dance compensated for its quality the change in his conduct was marked business was more closely attended to and the tavern frequented less he became a perfect marvel to his friends who wondered what had come over him and as the spiritual knockings had just come along some in levity gave it as their opinion that he had had an interview with the ghost of his grandmother that had rebuked his gracelessness but though he was less lively than formerly he was none the less kind to all and everybody loved him as well or better than ever but fate so called that officiates as a sort of junior providence in the affairs of men decided that a passion so fostered and concealed should be known and that all the speculation with regard to jabez b's mystery grandmother's ghost and all should be swallowed up by a knowledge of the fact there was to be a great picnic in patney the freeman star had announced it for a month in big type and in an editorial notice had apprised the people that it was to occur on such a day weather permitting the editor dwelling with great eloquence upon the happy combination of beauty and cold chicken pancakes and poetry crackers and conversation cider and scenery and making up the sum total of its enjoyment 
the day came auspiciously the sun was bright and the air was balmy the lads and lasses laughed lavishly and the birds sang sweetly in the bushes in a grove near the company held high carnival to pan and the archers of the woods were vocal with the noise of mirth near by was a charming little lake hemmed in by trees and bordered by sedges dotted here and there by patches of lily pads amid whose deep green the water-flowers gleamed like stars and this lake wooed many to its brink to admire its beauty to splash in its cool water or sail upon its still bosom in a tiny boat that was at hand jabez and susan were of the party and through the atmosphere of her presence he saw a new and mystical beauty in everything the trees were greener the berries were brighter the air was balmier and the music of the pines had a new and sweeter melody susan was one of a few that had wandered towards the lake and jabez had watched her at a distance fondly drinking in with every faculty of his being her charms as they became revealed to him and her playful movements among the trees and her smiles though not for him were sunshine to his heart and now his heart that interesting organ throbs wildly as he sees her with playful recklessness step upon the tiny boat and push it from the shore the treacherous twig to which the boat was tied broke at the strain it received and susan bray was afloat and alone upon the waters of the lake each effort she made to gain the shore was fruitless when her paddle having become entangled in the lily pads she was thrown pale as one of her kindred lilies into the water confusion immediately ensued and rash endeavour to save her only threatened her more sure destruction when jabez b rushed madly to the scene and in a minute was by her side the water was very deep but with one arm grasping the boat and the other supporting his fair burden he held her above the current until assistance came when completely exhausted with the exertion he fainted as he reached the shore in such a manner did the intimacy commence between jabez the printer and the fair susan bray an intimacy that resulted in a mutual affection as pure and exalted as ever burned in the breast of more noted heroes or heroines of romance the heroic conduct and generosity of her lover won her heart as her beauty and innocence had won his and they were mutually happy of course but the freeman star waned in its brilliancy as four hundred subscribers did not pay buckets and applesauce in which subscribers generally paid had ceased to be negotiable articles in the payment for paper and ink and the star went down in darkness leaving poor jabez minus employment but with plus hope love fed hope and hope held out her candle and faith grew strong within him that the future had great things in store for him lovers partings have been so often described that the parting of jabez and susan must be imagined for as every one will at once perceive it became necessary for them to part we will merely state with regard to it that it was tender and interesting to themselves and also to the miller's maiden sister who watched the last kiss on the doorstep when he tore himself away the night before he went to boston but she didn't hear what he said dear susan said he keep up a good heart and i shall return to you don't fear and i will prove myself worthy of you too god bless you and when we meet again we will love each other all the better absence makes the heart grow fonder you know so wipe your eyes susan dear and give me some word that i may remember when danger is nigh and will prove a love charm that evil and temptation cannot overcome he pressed her to his beating heart as he spoke and put the imprint of a kiss upon her brow jabez said she smiling through her tears your affections may be sorely tried in the great city and temptation will beset your path but my prayer shall be offered for you and the word i would have you remember above all others is fidelity let us be faithful to each other 
Remember, fidelity. He kissed the lips that uttered the word and vowed to remember. Fidelity, it is a strong word and embraces in its meaning the whole duty of man. All of love, truth, honesty is comprised in its significance. Faithful, of course he would be faithful, and how could he be otherwise? In the ardor of his young love, it seemed the easiest thing in the world. And now he is in the city, a wondering and admiring stranger, and after considerable difficulty, a compositor on a morning paper. Day by day and night by night, high under the eaves, he is toiling, breathing the fetid and smoky atmosphere of the printing office. He has become the slave of the lamp, he and all other slaves. Night, which brings rest to the world, brings no rest to him. The holy Sabbath, with its sweet influences, brings no solace. For him, Christ has risen in vain. The click of types at midnight is heard, like a death watch, denoting the flight of time. Telegraphs, steamboats, and railroads combine for his discomfort. The reckless and the unhappy are his companions, and grace struggles in vain to grow in an atmosphere impregnated with lamp smoke and sin. It is the sacrifice of liberty and health, of body and soul, for money. Jabez had a strong hope in him, which sustained him. He bears the ribald jest, often aimed at what he regards most sacred. He sees the irreverence which bad men show for holy things. At first he is shocked, but the ingrained generosity of his associates leads him to think less unfavorably of their lack of morals, and he laughs at what at first gave him pain. Fidelity! Was it a voice at his side that uttered the cabalistic word in his ear and that sunk down into his heart? That word saved him. It was a good angel enshrined in his memory that came to warn him of danger and exhort him to faithfulness, and his feelings became again pure and fresh as when he left their inspiration. Come, Jabez, said a brother typo. Tis Saturday, for this day at least we are free, and now, my boy, what say you to having a good time? Let's go round and see the folks. And with a laugh on his lip, and the fire of fun in his eye, and a sense of freedom in his mind, he went with his good-natured persuader, plunged with him into dens where rum flowed like water, and the hoarse shout of revelry smote his ear with the discordance of the bottomless pit. It needed no friendly warning to save him, for his spirit shrank instinctively at the sights he saw and the sounds he heard. One after another of these places he visited, and each time with a dimming sense of their abominations, the light of conscience became foggy in the dun of tobacco smoke, and sensibility was blunted in the frequency of the vile exhibitions that met his gaze. Fidelity! That word came again to him, and the scales fell from his eyes. The demon had lost his power, and the serpent was revealed in all his hideousness. From pleasure to pleasure, through temptation after temptation, in the dance, in the saloons, in the theater, his secret monitor came to him like the voice of a fire-bell, and his spirit grew strong under its admonition. On seasons of quiet and peaceful enjoyment, too, the word came to him approvingly, and his soul received it as a beautiful token of unbroken love and hope revived. It must be confessed, I think, that never yet was a printer attended by so faithful a monitor, or by one that was half so well heeded. And now sickness pressed upon Jabez, and he thought he was going to die. I believe that it always happens that people in love, or homesick people, are more fearful of death than others. It is your jolly debtor, who, honest man, hopes, by paying the debt of nature, to pay all the rest he owes, that is ready to die. The poor printer was sad, and said, Fidelity was heard but faintly in his dread to go. He was delirious, his mind wandered, amid early scenes again with Susan Bray. 
her voice he heard in his dreams exhorting him to fidelity again they stood together upon the old doorstep in patney and he was pouring into her listening ear the story of his temptations and his support and received from her sweet lips the desired approval of his faithfulness the meeting-house came up in his dream of bliss and within its walls robed in white stood susan bray and by her side himself arrayed in the bravery of a holiday suit a happy bridegroom a new star arose in patney boasting innumerable subscribers who all paid in money and not in buckets and applesauce himself its editor and himself the most important man in the village and whispered about as he walked along the street alas twas but the vagary of a diseased mind soon dispelled by the officious obtrusion of a spoon with medicine beneath his nose day by day he was watched almost hopelessly at last however a youthful constitution triumphed over disease and medicine a fearful odds and he became conscious bright eyes were beaming over him blue eyes suffused with tears and affection reader can you guess whose eyes they were right you have guessed right the first time they were susan bray's as bright and true as when two years before he had left them at patton though they had shed many tears over his prostrate form during his unconsciousness as if he or any printer that ever lived were worth such solicitude the first word they both pronounced was fidelity and their eyes proclaimed the fidelity of their hearts it is now about four years since the foregoing scene was enacted and the other day i received number one of a new paper called the freeman's star from patney edited and printed by jabez b a letter accompanied the paper containing a request that i should visit him at home and that susan his wife would be delighted to see me as soon as spring opens i shall go success to the printers say i and when temptation is besetting them as it too often is may they have a voice to speak to their generous souls exhorting them to fidelity on ghosts do you believe in ghosts mrs partington it was asked of the old lady somewhat timidly to be sure i do replied she as much as i believe that bright fulminary there we'll rise in the yeast to-morrow morning if we live and nothing happens two apprehensions have certainly appeared in our own family why i saw my dear paul a fortnight before he died with my own eyes just as plain as i see you now and though it turned out arterwards to be a rose-bush with a nightcap on it i shall always think to the day of my desolation that it was a forerunner sent to me t'other one came in the night when we were asleep and carried away the three candles and a pint of spirits that we kept in the house for an embankment believe in ghosts indeed i guess i do and he must be a dreadful stippic as doesn't and she piously turned to the part of the book relating to the witch of endor stage companionship some folks are always talking and some with provoking taciturnity are always saying nothing to use a left-handed expression we like a good talker intelligent quick ready whose happy conversational power tends to make the rough way of life pleasant and we have a corresponding dread of one who drones and hesitates and speaks only by monosyllables and then as if he took out each word and looked at it before he dared to utter it it is amusing at times to observe two of these human opposites come in contact to hear the lively laugh and playful jest of the one as he rattles on like a fast horse over the paving stones striking a spark at every step and the sombre glumness of the other who hardly deigning to smile sits tongueless brooding over his thoughts like a hen at midnight 
Put the two in a stagecoach or rail car to modernize a little, and see how the former will shine, while the latter, poor dummy, though perhaps morally and intellectually worth six of the former, sits unnoted or regarded only as some cheap fellow of no consequence. We were one of three who one day long ago occupied seats with the driver of a stage during a fifty-mile ride, and one of the company was the merriest fellow we ever saw. He told stories, sung songs, and laughed, till all rang again with our accompaniment by the dim woods that we passed and over the hills that we climbed. It was a jolly ride, surpassing that, we think, of the renowned Mr. Pickwick, where the very correct Bob Sawyer occupied an equally outside position with our illustrious selves. We were somewhat inclined to be merry in those days, may heaven forgive us, and that ride was an event to be remembered lifelong. The whole party enjoyed it, save one, and he was the most woebegone-looking customer we had ever seen. Joking wouldn't have moved him. He was impenetrable to any missile of that kind, and there he sat with a countenance fifty miles long. Tis fair to reckon it by the length of the road, gazing very sadly at the right ear of the nigh horse. Our funny companion at last bent his whole battery upon the silent man and tried to draw him out. It was an entire failure, and the joker, a little chagrined at the other's imperturbability, asked him in a somewhat hasty tone why the something he didn't talk. Without moving his eyes from the contemplation of the horse's ear, he opened his head, and these words dropped out. What's the use of talking? my son said mr smith to his little boy who was devouring an egg it was mr smith's desire to instruct his boy my son do you know that chickens come out of eggs oh they do father said young hopeful i thought the eggs came out of chickens the elder smith drew back from the table sadly and gazed upon his son then put on his hat and went to his work mr slow upon moral worth bim licked you must try and be a good man. I always taught you that. Never let your name be at discount or change. Always mind and take up your notes, cause credit's everything in the world. What's a man without credit? He ain't nothing. He ain't nowhere. For a man to be without credit is about as bad as poverty, and a man without money or credit is to be despised. Avoid such people as you would the smallpox. Look at your grandfather. Bill Nitch, there's a sample for you to follow. He always acted right. He never owed a dollar, and never lost one, cause he was shrewd. He never run round, lending his money to folks, not he. Mortgages did it, and people used to love to have him foreclose on him, cause he did it so good-naturedly. He was a good man. His name was always right on change. He could always get money, let it be ever so hard. You never catched him squandering his money on charitable humbugs and encouraging porpoises. Not he, and when he died he was worth two hundred thousand dollars, and the ship's colors were histed half mast, cause a good man had fell in Israel. Blimech must approve under such training, and isn't it the world's teaching continually? Mr Slow off soundings. The earth is round, my son, said Mr Slow impressively, taking an apple from Abimlech's hand, and holding it up beneath his thumb and finger. Like an apple and revolves on its own axle-tree round the sun, just as regular as any machine you ever see. The earth is made up of land and water and rocks, besides vegetation and trees and things growing. The mountains upon the surface of the earth are very high, more than a half a mile, I should think. Some of them are called white mountains, because they ain't black. The ocean is very deep, and some folks think it ain't got no bottom. This is all gammon. Everything has got a bottom, my son. The reason they can't find it is cause the world is round. 
They throw their stinker overboard and goes right through one side like this, thrusting his knife through the apple, and hands down underneath just so. Of course, they can't find a bottom. Mr. Slow gives his boy the apple and turns round, much satisfied with himself. What is a waxed end? asked one not posted in the vocabulary of Lynn. A waxed end, was the reply, is the end that receives the wax. An editor a little heated. Copy, quotha, copy, with a thermometer at ninety-six degrees. What an unconscionable dog it is, to be sure, to worry one so. Not one line, so help us, Stebbins. Not one line. Avant, quit our sight, for the heat of the day is fused into our spirit, and by that sword which gleams above us, annihilation awaits you if you dare provoke us with your importunity. The idea of writing at such time is abominable, and no reasonable devil would insist on it. A vile knave thou art at best, with thy swart and lank jaws, there disintended, bawling for copy. Grin away, you waif, from the lake of Tartarus, whose burning flood ne'er yielded a more hideous whelp for our or the world's torment. We tell thee, swart minion, vile mercury of inordinate jaws, that copy thou canst not have. What? Right when the atmosphere, like hot lava, wreathes the brow, and sticks there with the tenacity of molten pitch, and burns, and burns upon the brain like the thirst for revenge, or the seething scald of impending pecuniary obligation. Away, caitiff, and tell thy master this, and tell them, too, that we will see them hang, ere we will write a line for them to-day. Vamos it, mizzle, scatter or by St. Paul, temper outrage shall take to itself form, and launch its thunders on thy devoted head. But stay, this the abelian of our wrath is copy, pour it best, give it him. Don't cut it, miss. Don't you think my dress much too long? asked Seraphina, the youngest of the seven, of old Roger. Don't cut it, miss, even if it is. I beg of you as a friend not to cut it, said the old man seriously. Why not? inquired she timidly because miss i remember a difficulty of my own once under like circumstances which was a source of much shame to me overtaken by a severe shower far from home i was terribly drenched and a new pair of sheepskin inexpressibles that i wore tied close to the knee was the fashion then received the dripping streams from my body and distended like a bad case of the dropsy fell below my calves like your dress they were too long and i cut them off at the knee but the warm sun came out, and the sheepskin contracted. Inch by inch I felt it creeping up my legs, and by the time I got home you may be sure I was a sight to behold. Don't cut it, miss, unless you feel perfectly sure it will not shrink more. There was a smile at the old gentleman's delicacy in the matter, but there could be no fear of danger, and they didn't see how the cases were parallel at all. Twenty-nine cats. Scat! screamed Mrs. Partington from the head of the stairs, as the noise of an interesting quadruped of the cat species in the kitchen below met her ears. Skaya, I say! She listened to ascertain the result of her command, but the noise was resumed, and the little kitchen echoed again with feline music, spitting and mewing and growling, with a concatenation of malignity and every note of it that reached her as she leaned over the banister. Gracious heaven! cried she. I should think that there were twenty of them. What shall I do? Scat! She screamed again, and the noise redoubled. Indeed, it appeared to her excited fancy that a reinforcement had arrived, and were all in full chorus, and now the crash of crockery added to her fear. She dared not go down, for, of all things in the world, she feared a spiteful cat. 
It became suddenly still in a moment or so, and she ventured downstairs. A broken plate was on the floor, with traces of molasses upon the fragments, and Ike very demurely sat behind the stove, counting his marbles. "'Is there by any cats in here, Isaac?' asked the kind old lady, looking anxious round the room. Twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine. "'Where, for goodness sake, did twenty-nine cats come from?' asked she. "'But I know there was a good many of them.' And there's a two, sir, continued Ike, still counting, and a Chinese. Anything like the Maltese, Isaac? inquired she. I mean marbles, aunt, said Ike. And I mean cats, Isaac, said Mrs. Partington severely. It was a scene for a painter. Coffins should do it up. Her eyes alternated between the broken plate and the boy, as if pondering the mystery of the sound she had heard. And Ike wiped the molasses from his mouth on his sleeve. Didn't the molasses on the plate explain it? He had to take a lecture, you may depend, on the certainty of roguish boys being awfully punished for plaguing the aged, and he had to read the story aloud, before he went to bed that night, of the boys who were eaten up by the she-bears. End of section 12